So this is our third week in our new series, The Genesis of God's People. The first week, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, which was really an introduction to who God is. And then Genesis chapter 2 was an introduction to who we are. And this week, uh, it's an introduction to what's wrong with the world. Why is everything broken? Now, let me uh, say a quick prayer. I'm going to specifically pray for the four C's, and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you through your word. Uh, Would you open up our hearts to it? And I pray for uh, Steve Burkett, his church in North Chelmsford. Would you bless it? Would you bless the denomination, the the conference, the four C's, and uh, use us to build your kingdom in this world? And would this message be a small part of building your kingdom here in Westford? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Post Secret. This is a, a, a website uh, that is an ongoing community art project. Uh, and it's a place where people write their secrets on postcards and mail them into this website. And it, and it is a, an art website, so I'm not necessarily recommending you go there. Uh, but I wanted to take a few of the images from that website, a few of these postcards, and share them with you. Uh, because they are people's secrets. They're what people hold most dear on the inside. And it it tells us, it shows us kind of uh, how the world is a broken place, that people are hurting. Now, some of these uh, post-secrets are really funny. This one says, I'm a vegetarian that eats animal crackers. So that's pretty, pretty light, pretty funny. Trying to get that off their chest, confessing. Now, some are romantic and kind of sweet. This one says, she doesn't know it yet, but she's going to marry me. I like that. That one's cute. I don't know what that has to do with a squirrel, but, uh, <laughs> but I guess squirrels were uh, romantic to them. Uh, the next one kind of shows us that people are broken. It says, gambling destroyed my fourth and last marriage. That's really sad. That's really hard. Some show that people are distrustful or hide racism in their hearts. The first night I shared a room with my black roommate, I locked my suitcase. See, we hide things inside that we don't want other people to know. And some of them show us that people are hurting. Now, the the top line is traditional Chinese. The bottom line is simplified Chinese. I don't know that because I speak Chinese, but uh, Ann Rawls helped me out, so thank you. And what this says is it's sad. It's hard. It says, after the suicide attempt, I do not know how to go on living. This website actually has a suicide prevention uh, box because they get so many post secrets just like this. I want to share one final one that I thought was kind of relevant to you as you sit uh, here listening to me. It says, while others pray at church, I bow my head and I think about the TV programs I plan on watching. <laughs> Maybe that's you. I, I would understand. Why are we broken? Why are, are we all hurting? Uniquely in different ways, but then kind of all together uh, we go through these things. Christianity actually has an answer to why the world is broken, why everything is marred. And I actually think it's the strongest argument. It's the, it's the best reason for why everything is broken. 
And it starts, it doesn't just lay it out for us and say, well, here's the answer, here, here, and here. It lays it out in the form of a story, which Josiah just read. And the story has five parts. It has a temptation. There's a decision. There's a denial, a consequence. And then there's one more part that will kind of save for the end. And this is the story of why everything is broken. And it begins with a temptation. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. This is the story of the serpent coming to uh, tempt Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now this is both a temptation but also a test. In the Garden there is only one rule that God has put in place. It's don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, why would God put that temptation there? Well, God didn't, doesn't tempt anyone. He puts it as a test. See, it as a test for Adam and Eve to see if they're willing to obey him, see if they're willing to love him. Now, if God had not put the tree, in the, gar- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, and there was no way for humans to disobey God, That means there would also be no way for humans to obey God. So you would also lose the positive. There would also be no way for humans to show they love God, to show that they care about God. That that needed to be there in order for people to have a choice, to choose between themselves or to choose God. And verse 1 tells us that that God made a a serpent. Now, the serpent uh, that it's talking about here, uh, it's not just any kind of garden variety snake. It's really talking about a specific serpent, and that's a name for Satan. See, when when Satan was originally created, he wasn't called that. He was an angel. He was a pure angel named Lucifer. Uh, But then it says in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, that he wanted to be like God. And some people think you know, that he wanted to be as, as kind of powerful as humans, because humans are created like God, we're created in God's image. But in so doing this, and in, in kind of coveting what he did not have, in trying to grasp God's greatness for himself, he sinned, and he fell against God. And Satan is called the author of evil. He is kind of the, the evil one, and he wants to ensnare other people. He wants to ensnare God's creation, and so he comes to the garden to take Adam and Eve. So at the same time, the the serpent, Satan, is tempting Adam and Eve. God is also testing their love for him. See, parents, they give their kids an opportunity to obey. But with that opportunity to obey and show their love comes a risk of disobedience. And we're going to see what Adam and Eve choose as we go along. But first, we need to understand what the first temptation really was. And it was, it was a distortion. It was a, a distortion of God's words and his character. It was a distortion of God's command and who God is. Now, the serpent, he's a, he's a, he's a skeptic. He's a cynic. He incredulously asks Eve, could God have said that? Would God be so silly to say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? He's casting doubt on God's commands. Is God really good? Can you really trust what God says, what God is telling you? He's introducing doubt in God's words, his character. But most importantly, he's saying, well, is this God a truthful God? 
Does he speak truth? And does he have a truthful character? And sadly, Eve begins to believe the distortion. Now, if we were to look at Eve's response, she says that, you know, God says we can't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Well, God didn't say that because there's another tree in the middle of the garden. There's the tree of life. And Adam and Eve were commanded to eat of that tree. But then the second tree, God said don't eat of it, but he didn't say you can't touch it. So Eve begins to kind of buy into the lie. She begins to believe that, well, maybe this God, you know, is a petty God, that he kind of adds silly rules. You know, maybe she was so afraid of God as well, but, but I think there's this idea that she's, she's adding to God's command. She's, she's changing his character for just a moment. It's a distortion. It's a distortion of God's words. In God's character. Have you ever been to an amusement park? So I think Canopy Lake. I I have not been there yet. I know I live in Massachusetts. I probably should go there soon. Uh, But at Canopy Lake, there is a mirror maze. So I have never actually been to a mirror maze. uh, But I I was with my friends once, and we were at a mall, and they paid to go through the mirror maze. I was too cheap. It was like $5, and I didn't go through. But the whole idea of a mirror maze is that you walk into this, this kind of complex uh, area and you don't know where you are. You, you're not sure if you're going to run into a wall or you're going to run into your friend or, or if that's just a reflection of your friend. It's a distortion and it's for your amusement. Now Satan does something similar. He distorts our reality for his amusement because he wants us to disobey God, to dishonor God. So what are some of the distortions that we and I believe today, that, that, that you and I, that, 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 that we buy into, that we, that we twist about life? What are the sins that we're tempted with? Well, I wanted to kind of keep it really basic. So what is something uh, basic that we distort? Food. Food is intended for our stomachs. It's intended to fill us, to fill our stomachs. But we distort that when we say, well, if I eat food, it'll, it'll fill me in other ways. It'll fill me emotionally. Or if I deny food, well, then it will, I'll be happy. So we take something that's good for our use, and we, we just change it slightly. We say, oh, this will, this will fill me in other ways that it really isn't intended for. How about money? Money is intended to, to help us live, to help us go throughout our lives. We distort this when we say, Money is the purpose of life, that I'm going to spend my life trying to earn as much money as I can. That is a distortion of something that is good into something that is evil. How about sex? Sex is intended to bind a husband and a wife. It's supposed to kind of cement the, the marriage relationship. And we distort this when we, when we enjoy it outside of that commitment. Well, there is this, it's supposed to be a whole life commitment, and we say, well, we're going to be committed physically, but not everything else. That's a distortion again. So those are kind of some basic distortions of reality that we buy into, and these are sins. This is a, a kind of disobeying the way God intended it to be. So the first part of our story is a temptation, and if they buy into the distortion, if they believe, if they give in to the temptation, if they believe the distortion, and they doubt God, everything is going to break. All of creation is going to feel it. So the next kind of part of this story is the decision. What decision are Adam and Eve going to make? 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, is the, is the saddest verse in the entire Bible because it tells us what decision they make. And in this, this, this questioning, the serpent has come to Eve, uh, and Adam and Eve, they have to make this choice. They're deciding ultimately whether they're going to trust God and his goodness or they're going to trust themselves. That they're really the ones that know what reality is. That they can determine for themselves their own truth. And Adam, in verse 6, well, let me just read verse 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And just like that, all of humanity has broken all of humanity has suddenly given in to sin. They have made the wrong decision. Now, when Adam commits this first sin, the, if you read the kind of the greater story of the Bible, not only does Adam fall into sin, but all of humanity, that means all people, uh, become sinners. Now, why is this? Well, it's because Adam was, it was our representative. He was kind of humanity's representative. You know, like our president is the representative for the, U the U.S. Adam was the representative for all people from, from all times and places. And because he did the wrong thing, we all suffer the consequences as well. We all become sinners just like him. Now, maybe you think, well, if I had been there, I wouldn't have made that choice. Well, actually, Adam is much better than any of us because he was without sin at the beginning. He wasn't harmed and kind of bent by sin. You and I are. So we would not have made a better decision than Adam. And there's some things that we need to understand about sin. We need to understand the nature of it, that it's, that it's attractive, that it's deceptive, that it wants to, to draw us in. And I think in verse 6, we, we see three things about the nature of sin. We see sin... Sin is disobedience to God, disobeying his commands, but sin is practical. Eve says that the fruit, when she looked at the tree, and we don't know if it was an apple, so you don't have to avoid those in the shopping line. Uh, she looks at the fruit, and she sees that it is good for food. See, sin is often useful. It's often logical. It makes sense. It makes sense to cut on your taxes because then, well, you'll get more money. It makes sense to take shortcuts at your job because, well, uh, you know, I'll get things done quicker and my boss will be impressed with me or maybe my boss wants me to take those shortcuts. Sin often is useful and logical. Moving in together before marriage often makes sense logically uh, because it's hard to live on your own. Sin is often practical, but it's not good. Sin is also beautiful. Eve says, uh, in our verse, she says it, it, it was pleasing. It was pleasing to her eye. When she looked at it, at the fruit, it, it just, it looked, there was something about it that she wanted. See, it looks good. It's enjoyable. It's, it's, it's enjoyable to have more money. It's enjoyable to have sex outside of marriage. These are things that are beautiful, that are pleasing to the eye, that we, that we want, but they're not good. Sin is desirable. It's attractive. Uh, she says it was good for gaining wisdom. We want sin. 
We need us. We need it. There's something about how we're built that we're just, we crave it. We crave it. We think we need it. We, we think we need the money. We think we need the success at our job in order to be happy. We think we need that extra cash in order to be happy. Uh, we need that love that perhaps our significant other will deny us if we don't do the relationship their way. See, sin is practical. It's attractive. And it's something that we think we need. I might offend some of you when I say this next thing. Sin is kind of like a timeshare. Maybe you have a timeshare, don't worry, that's okay. But it lures you in. It says, oh, here's this great deal. Uh, here's all, you can have the best vacation ever. It makes financial sense, but then it binds you forever. And it's so hard to get out of. I take advantage of my, uh, my parents-in-law's uh, timeshares, so uh, don't worry about it. But uh, that's kind of an image. And it brings you in, and, it, and, it, and it, it takes from you. And it seems good at first, but then it'll get you later. And the interesting thing is that when we, when we sin like this, when we, when we choose to kind of buy into the, the practical nature, the beautiful nature, the desirable nature of sin, we want other people to join us. What's the first thing Eve does? She, she turns to Adam and says, here, join me in my sin. See, we assume that there is safety in numbers. <laughs> The Bible says that uh, humans kind of get together and we approve of each other's disobedience. We say, good job, you're disobeying too. Because if enough people disobey, well, maybe, maybe that makes it okay. This is why we all speed. This is why when we're going up 495, we, we all kind of go over the speed limit together. Because we assume, well, if that person's doing it, then I can do it. But the truth is, we're all breaking the law. <laughs> we're all disobeying. That's how sin works. So if you notice some place in your own life where you, you do something and then your first response is, well, I feel bad about this. I feel guilty about this, but I'm going to go and I'm going to get as many other people as I can. I'm going to kind of joke about it. I'm going to tell them like, oh, this is kind of a fun thing that I do. How do you do it? That's, that's a, a warning sign that we're headed the wrong direction, that maybe we need to have a heart check, that we need to look at our own hearts and say, well, Am I giving into something that really isn't good? Am I trying to get others involved in it? Because it makes me feel better. There is not safety in numbers. Why is everything broken? In Adam and Eve, they broke everything, but we continue the same pattern. We're breaking everything day after day. As we continue in our mistrust of God, as we continue to buy into the distortion, as we continue to not believe in God, because of us, everything is broken. Because of you and me, everything is hurting. Now, this decision leads to denial. So we're looking at verses 7 through 13, when God comes to the garden. And he comes in this phrase called the cool of the day. So it almost seems that God is, shows up like he's strolling through the garden, and it's just another nice day for God, and God calls out, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? I'm, I'm looking for you. Why aren't you here? And Adam and Eve are hiding because they're naked. They're aware of their sin. Suddenly they're exposed. The tree worked. When they ate from the fruit, they, they can see evil now, and they realize it's not so good. And instead of admitting it, they, they deny it. Now, our passage says that they came in the cool of the day. Our, our last two weeks, I think, we've looked at a Hebrew word called ruha, and that's the word spirit, spirit, wind, 
breath. These are all kind of the different ways you can translate it. And if we look in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, we see the Holy Spirit there. We see the Spirit. Instead of saying cool the day, it's really saying God came in the wind of the day. God came in the breath of the day. God came in the spirit of the day, that, the, that his Holy Spirit was with him, that God was coming. Uh, remember in Genesis 1-2, we learned that God hovered over the water, so we just read that, our, our foundation verse. That word for hovering is a personal word. It's a protective word that God's kind of like a mother bird that protects her young. And here we see God is coming to protect the garden. God is soaring in to to cleanse the garden of sin. But even as he's coming to protect, even as he's coming to guard, God is coming to offer a chance for repentance, for forgiveness. Instead of confessing Adam and Eve, they begin to blame each other. They deny the sin. And this we continue to do today. One of my earliest memories. So you kind of always, you, you think back to like your very first memory. What I consider to be my very first memory was doing something mean to my brothers and then hiding in the closet. This is, this is continuing the pattern. The, the brokenness continues on. But God gives opportunities. He gives opportunities to Adam and Eve to repent. And he gives opportunities to you and to me to repent. Repent means to turn away to say, I'm sorry, God, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to turn to you and turn from my sin. The three opportunities are here. Opportunity number one, God says, where are you, Adam? See, God knows where Adam is. He's, he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He doesn't not know where Adam is. He's given him an opportunity to come forward and to repent. And what do we see Adam do? He, he feels so exposed, he feels so naked from his sin, from his disobedience, that he doesn't admit it. He says, well, God, I'm naked, so I'm, I'm hiding. Opportunity number one is gone. Opportunity number two, God says, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from my tree that I commanded you not to eat? See, God knows Adam's sin. God knows the ways Adam has disobeyed. But he's giving Adam an opportunity, an opportunity to say, I'm sorry, God, I repent. I, I, I want to turn to you. But notice what Adam does. Adam shifts the blame. <laughs> and he doesn't do it in a very wise way. He shifts the blame to God himself. He says, the, the woman that you put here, are you blaming God, the, the perfect creator? He says, the, the lady that you put here, well, she did it. And then he blames Eve, his wife. And then there's one more opportunity. God says, okay, well, Eve, Eve, what is this that you have done? See, God knows Eve's sin. He knows Adam's sin. He knows her sin. But he's inviting her to repent, to turn to him. But Eve follows uh, Adam's bad example. She follows her husband, and she blames the serpent. She says, oh, well, it's, it's the serpent's fault. He tempted me. See, it's easy to hide from our sin by blaming others. It's, it's, it's part of what it means to be living in a broken world. That it's easy, it's easy for us to, to all agree that, like, you know, those, those evil corporations that spill oil, they are the sinners. It's easy for us to watch the evening news and say, well, that politician, they're a sinner, or that politician, man, I really don't like them, they're sinners. But see, sin begins in our own hearts. It begins as we be, as, as we don't, uh, 
become honest with God as we don't say to God, I'm sorry. These are the things that I've done. See, sin is individual, it's personal, it's inside of us. Because of us, everything is broken because of you and me. Now, one day, a father, this is a story I wanted to share with you, I found. One day, a father heard his two-year-old son crying up in his room. And so he went up the stairs to his son's room, and his son was there crying on on the floor, and he was about two years old, and, and his daughter, well, she was four, and she was also in the room, and then on the floor, there was also a plastic bat, and the, the father turns to his daughter and says, well, well what happened? She says, well, well, he hit his head. And, and, she, and he says, well, well, what did he hit his head on? She says, well, on the bat. And he says, well, where was the bat? And finally, she says, well, it was in my hand. <laughs> Is God asking you what happened? What went wrong? And you're blaming the bat. You're blaming your circumstances. You're blaming the relationships in your life. You're denying it. God gives us so many opportunities, opportunities day after day, just to say, God, I'm sorry. I blew it. I am wrong. I disobeyed you. Forgive me. That's the same opportunity God gave Adam and Eve, and they didn't take him up on it. Here's one way that we can live life differently than Adam and Eve. We can say, God, I'm sorry. I blew it. Because of us, everything is broken. Adam and Eve, they were tempted not to trust God. God was testing their love for for him, and they made the wrong choice. They made the wrong decision. But you and I, we don't have to make that same choice today. Because they decided to disobey God, and then they just denied it. They denied the consequences. They couldn't look at themselves and be honest and be honest with God. They blamed each other. So there was a temptation. There was a decision. There's a denial. And now there are consequences. There's a consequence. And it's a three-part consequence. First, there is a break in their relationship with each other. So if we were to read through, uh, looking at verse 16, God says to the woman, he said, I will make your pain in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. See, one of the consequences, one of the results of of sin is broken relationships with each other. And we saw that in the the post-secret at the beginning, the the brokenness between uh, the, the spouse and his or his or her marriages. See, in the beginning, we were built for perfect relationship. You and I uh, were built, Genesis 1.27 says that we were made in the image of God. And who is God? He's a, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they've known and they've loved each other for all eternity without ever sinning once. They had perfect relationship. And so to be made in God's image is to want to kind of love other people just like God loves, uh, just like the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father and there's the Holy Spirit. We were made to experience a similar relationship and we broke that. Uh, we distorted the relationship by disobeying God. That's the consequences. And God tells this to Eve and to all women that they will experience pain in childbirth. See, now, because of that first sin, the relationship between parents and their children, now that relationship is at odds. 
It's a broken relationship from birth. You're never going to get along perfectly with your parents or with your kids because of this first sin. But there's also a more significant break. There's a break between husband and wife, men and women. Last week, I told you that uh, I taught that that Eve was created out of Adam's rib, out of his side, and, it, and he, she was created as a kind of a perfect partner. They complemented each other uh, 100%. They were equal in value, and that relationship now becomes distorted. It says that, that your desire will be for your husband. You'll put, you'll put this pressure on him to meet your, your needs in ways that he simply cannot. And then he will take advantage of that. He'll say, okay, well, I'm going to use this need for me, and I'm going to turn it around, and I'm going to abuse you. And we see this. We see this in the world as men and women are at odds with each other. The first consequence of sin is one that affects everyone in this room. That we've all experienced broken relationships. Because of us, everything is broken. But there's more consequences. The second one is a broken relationship with creation. In Genesis 1.28, it says humans were created to rule over the earth, to subdue it, to have a good relationship with this world. And it doesn't take much to understand that, that that's all broken now. And This is kind of looking at Adam's curse. It says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and then you will return to the ground. Remember, Adam was supposed to be kind of a king a king over this world, ruling over this world, and suddenly that's flipped. This world now is ruling Adam. He becomes enslaved. He becomes kind of bound to this world, to serving creation by the sweat of his brow. Work was never meant to be a bad thing, but it wasn't meant to rule over us like it does when we become addicted to work or we just seem to work and work and work and never get anything done. This is the result of the fall. So when we see things like tires in, in rivers and pollution in our skies and we hear in the news about people mistreating their pets and trash on the side of the road, these are all like simple results of our break with a, in a relationship with creation. Because of us, everything is broken. There's also one more consequence. There's a, there's a break in relationship with God. And this is the most important, the most significant result of that first decision between Adam and Eve and the serpent and God. And if we were to look at the end, we would see God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden so that they won't eat of the tree of life. That was the good tree. They were supposed to eat of it and live forever and have perfect relationship with God, perfect access. And God says, no more, because I'm a holy God, and I have holy friends And if you're not a holy friend, then you can't be my friend in the way that you were before. And so God casts them out of the garden. It says that God erects, well, he puts puts a cherubim at the garden. That's just another way of saying God was erecting a barrier, a barrier between us and him. 
And if you look at the story of Israel, remember the author of this book is Moses, and he was writing in a time when, when the nation of Israel, they were, they were wandering the wilderness, and they had just recently built the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent that they took along with them. It kind of had God's presence there. Well, on the tabernacle, kind of shrouding God's presence was this curtain, and on this curtain was woven cherubim. And it was to signify that there is a wall between us and between God. That we don't have immediate access to God because of our sin. But there's hope. There's hope for relationships with each other. There's hope for our relationship with creation. There is hope for our relationship with God because of one thing, because of one man. See, there is one more part to our story. There is one more part that is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and that's gospel. Now, some of you have probably heard the term gospel, and you think of maybe the first couple books of the Bible um, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called the gospels, but the gospel itself is something else entirely. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says that the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And actually, we hear about Jesus right here in this chapter. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, and you guys are all looking at your Bibles. I love it. I can see it. This is called the first gospel, the first good news. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can read it there. This is God, his curse against the snake, his curse against Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is called the Proto-Evangelium. It means the first gospel, the first good news. And the good news is that, that, that the descendants of Eve and the descendants of the serpent, and we, see, we can track that through the Bible, they'll be at war. But one of Eve's offspring, one of her descendants way down the line, he will win the war against the serpent says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The descendant it's talking about is Jesus. That Jesus was wounded by the serpent. This even tells us how, how God will deliver us, that someone will come along who will be wounded in order to defeat sin, who will be wounded in order to defeat evil and to defeat the serpent and give us hope. Because, see, everything is broken because of us. Because of you and me, everything is broken, but because of him, because of Jesus, we can begin again. We can have a new relationship with each other and with God. Now, just as Adam lost the initial battle in the Garden of Eden, a second man came and he won the garden. He won the battle in a, in a different garden. Maybe some of you know the, the story of Jesus. And uh, after he was betrayed by Judas, his disciples and him, they went to a garden. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus kind of had his, one of his final tests. His, uh, I think it's fair to say a final temptation. See, in that garden, Jesus was tempted to disobey God. He was tempted with the choice to run away and do things his way. Maybe you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. I love it in that movie, this scene, Jesus is being tempted by God, and then he makes the choice. He makes the decision to obey, and he gets up and he steps on a snake. It's so symbolic, but it's so powerful because it's true. 
Instead of deciding to do it his way, like the first Adam, Jesus, we call him the second Adam, he decided to do it the right way, to to deny himself and trust God, to obey God's call to go to the cross and die for our sins. Through the lashes, through the humiliation, through the crucifixion, Jesus never denied God. He never disobeyed God. He never said, God, I'm going to turn away. And you know what that means for you and me? It means that we were never denied by Jesus. Jesus never denied us. And on the cross, he took the consequences that you and I deserve. He took the consequences that, that, that Adam and Eve deserved. Eternal separation from God. Jesus took that on himself. He paid for the consequences that you and I deserve. Gospel is the good news is that if you put your faith in Jesus, if you come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I blow it every day. I have broken the relationship with you and with others. God will forgive you. That's the good news, the gospel. The good news is that we don't have to go back to the garden and try to live perfectly. Jesus already did that for us. He did it on our behalf. And now he's just saying, come, trust me, obey me, follow me, believe. If you believe, I will grant you my perfect record. So when God looks on you, he will see someone who never gave in to temptation, always made the right choices, never denies that they're in sin, and never has to experience the eternal consequence, which is a separation from God's blessing. Because of us, everything is broken. Because of him, because of Jesus, we can begin again. Which stage of the story are you in? Are you being tempted right now? Is there something in your life that you just know, I'm, I just want to give in? Well, the gospel helps us escape temptation because Jesus delivers us spiritually so we can make the, the right decision and, and flee temptation, run from it. It doesn't matter how practical sin is, how desirable, how beautiful it is. We can, we can escape it because of Jesus, because he delivers us. Maybe you've made the choice and you're kind of in denial about it. You're hiding your sin. You're saying, I, I'm not willing to share this with anyone else because it hurts too much. Remember, you are loved so much. God sent his son to die for you. Think about that for a moment. If, if God's son died for you, then what do you have to be afraid of? He'll forgive you. We all will face consequences, whether in this life or some of the decisions we make or the next. We can't erase the consequences in this life for the, the sin that we do, but we can in the next through Christ Jesus. He forgives us entirely. When we believe the gospel, we can resist temptation, we can trust God, and we can admit our sins. Through the gospel, Jesus Christ delivers us. He takes the sting of the consequence for us, and he gives us an entirely new life. Because of us, everything is broken, but because of him, we can begin again. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Help us believe the gospel. Help us trust Jesus and receive the benefits of that, of a perfect life. I pray for the offering that you would bless it, Lord. We, we use these funds humbly to try to honor you and grow your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.